you brought your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 7 is where I want to begin. Now, um, I'm, I'm going to read more scripture this morning than what I probably normally do. Uh, so anyways, Jeremiah chapter 7, but you might put your finger or put a marker in Isaiah chapter 1. We're going to go back and forth a little bit between uh, Jeremiah chapter 7 and Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah is the, it's the book right there, right before uh, uh, Jeremiah, so they're there close together. So uh, we're going to start out in Jeremiah chapter 7, but we are going to go back to, Lord willing, to Isaiah chapter 1 for a little bit, and then come back to Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah <coughs> Excuse me, Jeremiah chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all ye of Judah, that enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Trust not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if ye thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if ye thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if ye oppress not the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods uh, to your hurt. Then will I cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal and walk after other gods whom you know not and come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say we are delivered to do all these abominations is this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes behold even I have seen it saith the Lord but now, excuse me, verse 12. But go ye now unto my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people Israel. And now, because ye have done all these works, saith the Lord, and I spake unto you, rising up early and speaking, but ye heard not, and I called you, but ye answered not. Therefore will I do unto this house which is called by my name wherein ye trust, and unto the place which I gave to you and to your fathers as I have done to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight as I have cast out all your brethren, even the whole seed of Ephraim. Therefore pray not thou for this people, neither lift up cry nor prayer for them, Neither make intercession to me, for I will not hear thee. Will you pray with me? Let's bow our heads. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the good day and for the many blessings. We thank you for the opportunity you've given us to gather here this morning. Everyone you sent our way, we thank you, Lord, for our church family. We thank you, Lord, for the roof you put over our head. We thank you for the nation we live in, the freedom that we have to gather here. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings that you have poured out on us. But we thank you most of all this morning for your son, Jesus. Lord God, that you send him and give him so that we might have life, have that life eternally and abundantly. God, we don't deserve it. We didn't do anything to be worthy of it. We can't do enough to repay you. We can't even thank you enough. But God, you knew that, and you done it anyways. So Lord, let us always be a people that doesn't take that for granted, that doesn't take it lightly, what you've done for us. Let us always be a people with praise and glory on our lips for you, because you alone are worthy of it. And Lord, I just pray as we go forward to hear this service, God, that you'd have your way and your will in our midst. God, that you would move in a mighty way. God, that you'd stir our hearts. Lord, that you would speak to us this morning. God, my prayer is, is that we'd have ears to hear what you'd say by your spirit this morning. Lord, that your words wouldn't fall on deaf ears. God, that it wouldn't go in one ear and out the other. Lord, that we wouldn't just let it fall by the wayside so the devil can come along and steal it. But God, that it would find good, fertile ground and it would take root <coughs> and it would grow and it would transform us from the inside out into the image of your Son. God, that we would leave here different than how we come in. So Lord, I'm just praying here this morning. Have your way and your will in our service, in our midst, in our hearts, in our lives, and we'll be sure and give you all the glory for it. And Lord, let me ask two more things of you. One, if there's any here this morning that's lost and undone, any that doesn't know you, any that are backslidden, any that have drifted away, any that have just maybe grown a little bit cold and just not where they know they ought to be, God, let today be the day that they wake up. Let today be the day that you pour out that old-time Holy Ghost conviction upon them. And, Lord, they wouldn't, get any, they, they wouldn't have any peace. They couldn't find any peace till they'd repent and get things right with you before it's everlasting too late. And Lord, last, lastly, let me ask for your help. I can't preach a lick unless you give it to me, and I know that. I got nothing worth saying. Uh, I recognize my shortcomings, my inability. And so Lord, I'm just praying, asking here to, this morning that in spite of all that, Lord, you've chosen to use me as your messenger. And I don't understand why, but I know that you have. So, Lord, I'm asking that you'd forgive me of where I fall short. God, that you'd clear my mind of everything but your message, your thoughts, your words. And you place on my tongue the very things you'd have me say here this morning. And I'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it. Lord, I'm asking for your anointing, for your holy unction. I'm asking, Lord, that uh, your presence be known and felt here in a mighty way. I'm asking to be able to preach your word by your power and with your authority. And I'll give you every bit of the glory for it because you alone are worthy of it. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We praise your holy name. And we ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Now we're going to flip back to Isaiah chapter 1 here in just a moment. And I would like to, if time would let me, I would, I would have liked to have read... 
this whole chapter of Jeremiah. I'd like to read all of chapter 1 of Isaiah. I'm not going to. I'm just going to read a few verses so that you get the idea. Right, But I want you to see that there is a lot of similarities in Isaiah and in Jeremiah. There is a little bit of time difference between these two prophets, but they are both talking to the same people, and they are both dealing with, God is using them to deal with the same problems. It's just Jeremiah is a little bit closer to the end result, right? He's a little bit closer to the wrath of God, right? He, he is the prophet in the time when there is no remedy. And so anyways, when we look here, uh, by the end of his life anyways, that's where it's at. So as we look here, we, we can see, and, and hopefully we'll see here in a minute, in Isaiah chapter 1, we can, we'll see that the nation of Judah thought that it was impossible for them to fall. They thought they were invincible, right? They thought because they were God's chosen people, right, that nothing would ever hear them or nothing would ever happen to them. Now, I read out of Jeremiah here because I wanted you to hear. I think, it's, I think it better quotes the heart and the attitude of the people, right? So, But when we get to the prophet Jeremiah, right, Jeremiah is preaching the same messages to them. But in, in Jeremiah, they scoffed at the notion, right, and, and, and ridiculed um, Jeremiah and even hated Jeremiah for even suggesting the possibility that they could fall to some foreign pagan nation. I have a lot of thoughts. There is a lot of directions that I should go with. I could go with this. Truth is, I probably should preach, take three or four messages, and I don't know that it would do it justice then. My first thought is I think about us as a people, as a country, as a nation. Here in the United States, people have kind of the same sentiment, right? The idea, same feeling. They know that I guess technically it's possible that it could happen, that as a country we could fall. But they have this, and it's false, they have this false sense of security. It's almost the same sense of false security that Judah had. And you know what? Judah fell. It was at the end, uh, towards the end of Jeremiah's life, but he sat on the hill over uh, Jerusalem and he watched and wept over it as Nebuchadnezzar and his army besieged Jerusalem and tore down the walls and tore down and burned and tore down the temple. And when I think about this, and I think about this false sense of security, it's such a dangerous thing and it's so um, prevalent in so many areas of our life. If we're not paying close attention, every one of us could get lulled into a false sense of of security. A false sense of uh, security, first of all, about our safety, right, as a nation, right? We've we've said so many times and we've thought so many times that we are invincible, we're undefeatable, we're the world's superpower. There is no other superpower on the stage. You know that we are this and we are that. Listen to me, Uh, I got news for you. That's a false sense of security. 
I could almost make the case and argue out of the book of Revelation that we will fall. But I'm not going to do that today. But if we're not careful as a nation, right, we'll have a false sense of security about our nation, about our safety. If we're not careful, we'll get lulled into, and I've had this problem throughout my life, we'll get lulled into a false sense of security about our um, sustenance, our daily bread, our ability to, uh, to provide for ourselves, right? We, we get the idea, right, that I made this, I earned this, right? I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, right? I, I've always been able to ha- find a job. I've always been able to work. I've always been able to provide. If nothing else, I can take care of myself. And then we save and we save and we save, right? And then when, we, and then when we're older, when we're in retirement, right, we're counting on those savings in order to provide for us our daily bread, the things that we need to exist from day to day. If that, and and I've fallen into that a lot, right? I've been the one uh, that has had that attitude so many times that I I can take care of myself, right? That's just my fault. That's my default thinking. It's a false sense of security. Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, one of the things he told them to do is to daily ask God for their daily bread. The very uh, things that they need, the every morsel of food, every uh, uh, bit of nutrition that they need in order to survive, every breath that we draw, it's a gift from God. And if we're not careful, we'll get lulled into a false sense of security about our own ability to provide for ourselves. To provide for ourselves when we're physically able to work and do whatever. And to provide for ourselves when we're not able to work because of what we saved back when we were younger. Do you realize in a moment, in the snap of a finger, it could all be gone? Do you not realize that the first thing I said, our security, right, as a nation, if that falls, and one day I believe it will, if it falls, if that goes, number two goes right with it too. You ain't no, you ain't, I don't care how much money you got in the bank. I don't care how good, uh, you know, how many assets you've got. You ain't no, you ain't got no more than something like that happens. You ain't got no more than the bagger down the street. Oh, you might have a little food in the cupboard, but how long will that last you? And here's the third one. And this one probably scares me the most. Not probably, it does. We're not careful. We get lulled into a false sense of security about our salvation. About the condition of our souls about where we stand with God, right? If we're not careful, we'll get the attitude that, I don't know, I come to church, I believe in God, so therefore I'm good. Listen to me. Many, many throughout time have trusted in lying words. That's what he said. I, I, I repeated that twice. That was twice here in the scriptures where he talks about uh, trusting in lying words. And then in, I forget, I think it's verse 8, he says, ye, you all, right, have trusted in lying words that cannot profit. 
Here's the bottom line. Bottom line is it's all about in whom, in whom do you put your trust? Some man? That includes yourself, right? Some person, that includes you. Or do you put your trust in God for our security? Right? You know the only reason that we even exist today as a nation is because of God, right? And you know that just as soon as he pulls his hand of protection from us, which I wonder if that's not already happening, but as soon as he does, we're done. We're finished. We might be like Judah. It might be a little while before somebody comes and burns the gates down, but we're, as they, as they say, we're a dead man walking. You realize uh, everything that we have physically, materially, right? Whether it's money in the bank, money hid under your mattress, food in the cupboard, whatever it is, could be gone like that. It could be gone before you even got home and you're sitting here and not even knowing it. And if you put your trust in that stuff and your ability to obtain that stuff and hang on to that stuff, then that's going to be your whole world when that happens. That's going to be your whole world up in flames. That's going to be devastating. But if you put your trust in Jesus, if you've been counting on God and depending on God for everything, if tragedy and something like that comes your way, oh yes, I don't mean that it won't be a loss. I don't mean that we won't miss it. I don't mean that we won't recognize that might mean things are going to be a little rough for a little while. But it won't be devastating. It won't be your whole world just went up in flames. It won't be. You ever wonder why people, whenever the Great Depression come along, people are jumping out of windows of, of, of high-rise buildings, plunging to their death? Because they'd put their trust and their ability and in the money that they had accumulated and the assets they accumulated and it was all gone. Bottom line is where do you put your trust? So, we need to recognize. We need to recognize these things so that we do not get lulled into a false sense of security. You realize that right now, Satan is doing his best to deceive you. You realize he walks about as a roaring lion, right? Looking for whom he may devour, right? You recognize that he desires to deceive you. He wants everything he can to lull you into a false sense of security. That everything's good, that, you know, he wants, that, that you know, it, you can just trust in yourself, trust in man, you know, and, 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 and everything will be good, right? He wants to lull you into this false sense of security. Go back with me to Isaiah, right? I, I mentioned I wanted to go to Isaiah. And, and if, you, if you read all of this, you'll see this whole first chapter, you'll see the similarities. I'm going to just pull a couple verses out so that you see them. But, and I want to point some facts out about this so that we don't get lulled into the same sense of security. And I'm going to try to stay on 
topic here and talk about us, our safety as a nation, our uh, sustenance, uh, you know, our ability to provide food and the things that we need to live, and about our salvation, right? And so anyways, if we look at chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Isaiah, it says, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, uh, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, uh, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now I read that verse because I want to point out something, first of all. I want you, I want you to notice that the southern kingdom of Judah, this part of Israel at this time, had some pretty good leadership. Uzziah, uh, Jotham, and Hezekiah, they were all good kings. I know they were good kings because God said so. Go to Second Chronicles and, and read chapter 26, 27, and 29. He talks about all three of them. He says they were good kings. Hezekiah is even considered uh, by some to have been one of the very best kings that they ever had. They had good leadership. My point is, that I want to make with this verse is that people today in the United States they think that safety and security of this nation will be determined by the next election, whatever that election is, right? We've got one coming up that's going to elect a lot of people to Congress, right? Uh, and then in two years, we got one that's going to elect a president, right? And so anyways, we think that we find our safety and our security in the next Congress, and the next president, and the next set of political leaders. Now let me say, first of all, grant, take for granted, I want good, God-fearing politicians, leaders, president, congressmen, absolutely. That's the number one thing I'm thinking of when I go to the ballot booth and vote. But, with the moral decline of our nation? Who our next president is? Who makes up the majority of our next Congress? Makes a whole lot less difference than the godlessness of the people and the powerlessness of the church. Now listen, I thank God, I thank, and I mean this, I thank God every day that things over the last six years, things went the way they did. We got the judges that we did in the Supreme Court, and things were changed on abortion. And now it's brought back to the states to, to decide. And I thank God that we've got some godly leaders here in Missouri, right? And abortion is not something that's going to happen here. But listen to me. They put it on the ballot in Kansas here just not very long ago. That didn't turn out so well. Do you understand what I'm saying here with the moral decline of the nation that we live in today? The godlessness of the people and the powerlessness of the church is a whole lot bigger concern than who wins the next election. Let me put it to you this way and then I'll move on. The fact is the church is powerless when it looks to an election cycle instead of God for the answer to our nation's problems. That shows us the state that the church is in and the powerlessness of it. When we look to the next election cycle, thinking there 
might be the fix to all the problems of our nation. Second thing I wanted to point out to you, in Isaiah, if you go on down here to verse 9, it says, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. So the second thing I want to point out, one, I told you they had good leadership. Two, God still had a remnant there. God still had a remnant. It wasn't like every single person that lived in that land was morally bankrupt. We could say the same thing about us and our land today. It's not that every single person in our land is morally bankrupt. It's not that every single one is lost and godless. But here's the thing. It's sad to think of God's people being called a remnant or a residue, right? That's what remnant means if you look it up, is a residue, a small amount that is left, a residue of what it was or what it could be, right? Today the church is a remnant or a residue of what it could be, right? People think that as long as, uh, as some are holding true that God will spare the nation. He didn't, Judah, it didn't work out for him, for them. God did not spare Sodom. He did not spare uh, Gomorrah. He did not spare uh, Judah or Israel. And neither will he spare this nation either. We usually look at this thing about a remnant as a good thing. We'll say things like, well, God always has uh, his remnant right he always has a few people he has his remnant his residue meaning that he all what we mean by that is that he always has a few people who have not bowed their knees to the false gods of this world and that's a good thing that's fantastic I praise the Lord for it but at the same time it's a sad thing too right because the goal is not to end up with just a few the goal is to fulfill the will of God which is that none should perish but that all should come to repentance. The church should not be getting weaker and smaller. It should be growing. It should be growing in spirit and love and in number. It should be growing in influence and in power. And I know that the Bible tells us that in the last days that there's going to be a great falling away. I got that. But just because the Bible tells us that a great falling away is coming, that does not mean that we should take comfort in it when it happens. We should never uh, have the attitude of that's the way that it is and there's nothing I can do about it. So whenever he says it's a remnant... Thank God he's got a remnant, but that's not something to rejoice about. That's actually something that should be sad, that should bring a tear, because it's just a little bit of what it ought to be. Something else I wanted to point out to you in this is I want you to see in this that they had religious activity. It wasn't like they all just went what you know we would think of as atheists and just quit doing anything. Oh, they had religious activity. Look at verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? See, they're bringing him a bunch of sacrifices, but he's saying, what's the purpose of this? What good is it doing? Listen to the rest of it. Verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not 
in the blood of bullocks and of lambs and of the goats. Or of he goats. Verse 12. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. The Jews thought because they had the temple of the Lord. That's why in Jeremiah 7, 4, God is quoting them and they say, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Three times they say that. They think because they had the temple of the Lord and because of the religious activity involving the temple and it takes place in the temple, that God would protect them and not let anything happen to the temple or to Israel. They were wrong. They were dead wrong. God has been trying to tell them that. They are wrong. Many think today that since they have some sort of religious activity in their lives, that they're good and they're on their way to heaven. Many think that because uh, they have made a trip to down to the altar at one time, that they're good. It doesn't matter that they make no effort to serve God. It doesn't matter that he don't come first in their life, second in their life, third in their life. He just kind of fits in, or they just kind of put him in, fill him in where he fits in. It makes no difference if they do whatever they want. They think they're good. Because they have some, or at some time, they had some religious activity in their life at one time or another. Well, I got news for you. It takes more than some religious activity to make it to heaven. It takes more than some religious activity to escape the wrath of God. You know that's what salvation is, right? Deliverance, right? We've heard it in in terms like that. Deliverance, he is delivering you from the wrath to come, right? Salvation is saving you from the wrath of God that's going to be poured out on all the ungodly and all the unrighteous. And you, in order to be part of that group, you're going to have to really put your trust and Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your deliverer, as your sustainer of your life, and the answer to all of our problems. You might sit there and kind of nod in agreement. But if we get real honest, it's almost like Jesus is an insurance policy that we don't think we'll ever have to cash in, that we don't think we'll ever have to use. And deep down inside, we're not really sure that it's even good anyways. That's the truth for most of us. 
that's how we live our lives for the most part. Listen to me. We're going to have, if we do, then we've lulled ourselves into the same false sense of security that they did. You are here and you exist. You are still drawing breath because God has given it to you. The one that you care about, the one that, you know, that maybe should be here with you this morning and is not, they are still drawing breath because God has given it to them. The reason that we still exist as a nation for however much longer that'll be because God's holding us out. So, here's what they needed. What they needed was for the people to get right with God. I mean, I know that sounds simple, but that's what they needed. If we look here in, in Isaiah chapter 17, uh, chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the, uh, judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. What they needed was a reality check. They weren't who they thought they was. They had allowed themselves to be lulled into a false sense of security by the enemy, and they thought they were something that they weren't. Go back to Jeremiah chapter 7 for a minute. Verse 8 says, Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 8. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom you know not, and come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations? Do you hear what he's saying? You believe that you've trusted in lying words, so you think that you can go out and you can... Look, I think there's like five of the commandments that's talking about in verse 9 that they have broken there. That you can go out and you can break God's law, right? Not just one, but just break it over and over again. In other words, you can go out and live however you want, satisfy the flesh, and then come here into God's house, and God is saying, stand before me like nothing is wrong, like you just, you know, like you're good. And say that you've been delivered, you've been saved in order to do this sinful things? Oh, no. No. God is not going to stand for it. What they needed was a cleansing, which can only be done by the blood of Jesus. Look down to verse 23 in the same chapter. But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God. And you shall be my people, and walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. But they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imagination of their evil heart, and went backward and not forward. 
what they needed was a change of heart. That can only come about by the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. What they needed was not a righteous king. They'd already had some of those. But instead, what they needed (coughs) was the righteous king, Jesus. What they needed was to get right with God. I have brought all this out to you this morning because our needs today is not any different than what their needs were in those days. And listen to me, church, we need a reality check. We need to examine ourselves. We need to be careful where we're putting our trust and what we're relying on, right? Uh, I think I read it to you the other a couple weeks ago, but First Peter 4.17 says, For the time has come that the judgment must begin at the house of God. Listen to me, church, we need a cleansing. And I'm not talking just about Cornerstone here. I'm talking about the church as a whole, right? Uh, we've, gotten, uh, we, we've gotten so deep in, in politics because we view it as the answer to our nation's problems. It's not the answer. Jesus is the answer. We can have all the godly leaders and good Christian leaders in all the right offices that we want, but as long as the people are still godless and still uh, uh, morally bankrupt and are still seeking to fulfill the ways of the flesh, they're going to do just like happened in Kansas. They're still going to do it. It's still going to happen. The problem, the reason that things are where they are is because the church is powerless. The church is powerless because it is looked to it's, it's looked to man, it's looked to material things, it's looked to objects, it's looked to election cycles instead of to God for its answers. We need a cleansing. We need a change of heart. We need the Holy Spirit to do a work in our lives. Church, we need Jesus. We need the Spirit of God moving strong in our services, in our lives, in our hearts, in our homes, and everywhere we go. And that won't happen until some things change in here. Jennifer, will you come for a song of invitation? I don't know where you stand this morning. I don't know what is going on in your life. I don't know how the Holy Spirit may have been speaking to you this morning. But as Jennifer comes for a song of invitation, I'm going to invite you to stand here this morning. And I'm going to open the altar and I'm going to give you the opportunity to come. So if you'll stand to your feet, please. The altar is open. If you've got a need, if you've got a burden, would you come? If there's something that you're just needing to, some things that you need to take care of, here's a good place to do it. Maybe God has been dealing with you. Maybe the Spirit of God has been dealing with your heart. Maybe there's some things here this morning, uh, I don't know, that's been going on in your life, in your home, in your family. Now's the time to come. Whatever it is, maybe you've got a burden for somebody. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're not where you ought to be. Maybe you're not who you thought that you were or that you claimed that you were now is the time if the spirit of God is dealing with you now is the time